W-O-W-D-L-P, Tacoma Park. Beautiful. Well done. Dear listeners, you are tuned in to WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, one hour at a time, right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. It's the holidays, and I'm sure many of you, dear listeners, are spending this week visiting relatives. I've certainly been enjoying some quality time with my family, so much in fact that I've brought them here into the studio. Say hi, family! Hi! That's right, dear listeners. For the first time, Interfaith-ish has a live studio audience. So let's make my mom proud and get into some Interfaith-ish! Dear listeners, as far as holidays go, this month is obviously a full one. At the beginning of December, some of you may have lit candles for Hanukkah, and this week I'm sure even more gathered for a meal with family and friends, exchanged gifts, and went to a variety of types of services for Christmas. But of course, these are just some of the ways folks mark the season, which coincides with the winter solstice. For example, Persians party on Shebeyalda, the longest night of the year, by jumping over fires and reciting poetry. And let me tell you, that is a good party. So, dear listeners, I've invited some new friends to come into the studio and share their reflections on how they participate in the holidays, both culturally and spiritually. I'm joined this morning by Mr. Toussaint Tingling Clemens, who grew up celebrating Kwanzaa with his family. Welcome, Toussaint. Thank you for having me, Jack. And also joining us is Miss Alex Zach, one of the founders and leaders of Turning Circle, an eclectic pagan group that has been meeting in Columbia, Maryland since 2004. Welcome to you, Alex. Good morning. I'm so glad to have you both with me this morning. Toussaint, let's uh, start with you since tonight is the first night of Kwanzaa. Mm -hmm. For our listeners' benefit, tell us a little bit about what is Kwanzaa and why was it created? All right. Uh, well, once again, thank you for having me, Jack. Um, and I'll start by saying Habari Ghani. Uh, Habari Ghani means, is Kiswahili means what's the news, and it's the general greeting for Kwanzaa. Um, and normally your response would be the principle of the night. And so tonight is Umoja. Umoja. Yeah, and so I will try again. Habari Ghani, Jack. Umoja. Exactly. Thank you. Excellent. Um, and so Kwanzaa um, is Kiswahili means the first fruits, and it was the brainchild of Dr. Mulana Karinga, um, and was first celebrated in 1966 um, in California. Um, it was born out of the struggle for black liberation and uh, the seven principles are just kind of seven principles that he felt um, that black people needed to follow in order to help um, get, honestly just get better but also to free themselves in this country. Mm -hmm. So, so we heard we heard one of those principles in Moja yeah. which mm -hmm. means unity, unity I believe. Yes, I'm sorry. And can you can you walk us through the other principles? Yes, yes. So um, night one is unity. Uh, night two, Kuji Chagulia. 
which means self-determination. Mm -hmm. Night three is Ujima, collective work and responsibility. Uh, night four, Ujamaa, cooperative economics. Night five, Nia, purpose. Uh, night six, Kuumba, which means creativity. And night seven is Imani, which means faith. Mm -hmm. Great. So these are, are principles that don't necessarily have a religious foundation. It's a, it's a, Kwanzaa is a holiday that's primarily cultural, but, mm. but you know, those principles are also ones that one could consider um, to be virtues, right? Yes. And so there is a spiritual quality mm -hmm. to it as well. So tell us a little bit about that. What is, you know, how, how did your family uh, work through these different ideas of cultural, spiritual... When okay. it comes well, to the approach well, to Kwanzaa. A couple things. So one, um, Kwanzaa, well, the, you know, the, the last night is faith. Um, and so depending on your relationship with faith, uh, religion, spirituality, I've seen different Kwanzaas that they, they define it however they see the need to define faith. Mm. And so I know families who are Christian who celebrate Kwanzaa and Christmas, um, and they celebrate faith by going to church, um, a lot of times, you know, in, the, well, in my experience in Christian faith, a lot of people spend the new year in church. And okay. the, through the new year is um, Imani. My family, we celebrated Kwanzaa as a kind of a larger collective over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And um, we've handled faith kind of different. We, we've handled faith in, I would say, just differently in the way that our family has grown. Um, we also make sure... And this is not just for our family, but we make sure that we celebrate the ancestors. Mm. And so with our ceremony, one of the ways that everyone is allowed to share is everyone celebrates an ancestor. Um, and that can be someone you're related to or it can be someone of note that you may have heard of um, who either embodies the night or just embodies something that you would like for the group to remember. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the uh, the ways in which Kwanzaa is celebrated then in your household with these themes in mind? Okay. Um, so the way, so I can actually just honestly just take you through a night of Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa at uh, my parents' home. Um, and so Kwanzaa normally starts around 7 o'clock. Um, I have to preface it by saying... When we started doing it in my parents' home, I was 13. And so, you know, over 20 years, the way that I've engaged and my siblings have engaged has been different, um, just based on our friends, what we had going on in our lives, coming back from college, just kind of the different ways that we engaged. But Kwanzaa in general, we did a potluck, and mm -hmm. so we would invite friends from all over. Um, in fact, Jack, you're invited to oh, this year's Kwanzaa you. if you'd like to come. That would be great. Um, thank you. And so just any, you know, work friends, school friends, my parents would bring friends, just whoever. They come over at uh, 7 o'clock. We start um, Kwanzaa. We, in, in Kwanzaa, there's something called the Kikombe Cha Umoja, which is the unity cup. Hmm. Um, we give everyone their own unity cup just because flu season, we've got to go back to work. <laughs> With the practical um, Yeah, yeah, balance. just kind of keeping it kind of practical. Um, and then we have a conversation about the principle of the night. So tonight would be Umoja. Mm -hmm. Normally it's led by my father, mm -hmm. um, and so he will kind of call the group to order. We'll ask the eldest in the room, again, who's normally my father, mm -hmm. he's old. Um, well, we have him 
kind of speak to the group about unity and then he'll open it up for everyone else if you have strong feelings about unity or something that wasn't shared or even if you have a difference of opinion um once that's done then we ask everyone in the room to share an ancestor um again so and that's where we use the unity cup is everyone um there's first up i'm sorry i misordered something there's a pouring of libations um and then everyone sips from their cup as each person in the room shares an ancestor and when i say each person i mean you know if there's a three-year-old who has something to say you know they're allowed to say it and they go be normally go by age mm -hmm. um everyone shares an ancestor and once once the sharing of ancestors is over we light the candle um and then we eat and kwanzaa goes all the way into the night Beautiful. um so you know like on a work night like tonight for some people it might end a little earlier mm -hmm. on weekend nights or just if people are on break you know people have ended up just spending the night and just kind of bringing in the next morning with us great if you're just joining us this is interfaith ish on wowd 94.3 fm we've been talking this morning about kwanzaa with my guest Toussaint tingling clemens let's turn now to our other guest alex zach who is a practicing pagan to hear about what she and her family are doing this time of year so alex uh, many people may know that the christmas holiday as it's practiced today um, has at least a few traditions that are rooted in paganism. So what is your understanding of the origins of some of these iconic Christmas elements? Yeah, it's always funny when someone asks me, well, what special things do you do for solstice? Honestly, I think 80% of what people are doing for Christmas it honestly has pagan roots. Huh. Um, bringing greenery indoors uh -huh. is a really old tradition. Um, there's some ideas of bringing the spirit of, of nature inside to weather the winter mm -hmm. and bring it back out again when the spring comes. Um, or just reminding yourself that the spring will return. Um, lights in the darkness is very, very solstice. Mm. So all kinds of twinkling lights that people put up or candles that are burned um, have very pagan roots. Um, giving gifts is something that's long happened with things like Saturnalia, which was a week-long festival that the Romans enjoyed around winter solstice time. Um, and just getting together and having a break in the wintertime is definitely something that comes out, out of an agricultural calendar um, you have a break between the workout in the fields, the uh, cider and beer has come to fruition, um, animals are slaughtered, and with the cold, you've got some way to refrigerate the meat. So it was a really mm -hmm. good time to have a party. Mm -hmm. um, so winter solstice in the northern climates has long been a time of party. Um, so when Christianity came to northern Europe, um, they needed to get people on board with this new religion, and people didn't want to give up their party. Mm. So I think there was a pretty concerted effort to go, how can we put our holiday on top of this existing party? Mm -hmm. and, and I think Christmas has continue to be a crossroads of a lot of traditions mm -hmm. from a lot of places. Mm -hmm. You know, modern American Christmas is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Right, right. And so for, for your household, do you all celebrate Christmas? We do celebrate Christmas. I have children. Um, the present they don't grab. Want to miss out. They do not want to miss out <laughs> on the present grab. Um, but for me, the spiritual heart of the season is solstice. And we do some separate things on solstice, mm -hmm. um, which can happen at any time of the day, uh, any 
day of the week. So it's not necessarily a school holiday. So we have to kind of cram it into the work week slash school week. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do some things uh, either Solstice Eve or Solstice Night. Yeah. What are some of those rituals then? That- sure. Um, well, there's a kind of a standard layout that you can have for a pagan ritual, calling in the four quarters, calling in whatever deities you want to work with. So you've got that kind of standard setup. Um, and then whatever you want to do in the middle of it is kind of up to you. Um, we'll light candles and I'll talk about the story of Earth Mother and Sky Father giving birth to the infant light after winter solstice. The days start getting longer again. So we say it is the birthday of the sun. Mm. When the kids were really little, we might sing happy birthday to the sun and have a birthday cake. Um, Nowadays, we kind of do something a little more spiritual. Um, We might drop stones in water as symbolic for things we want to get rid of and then things we want to bring into our life. And we like to do toasts. We like to share some kind of beverage like sparkling cider. And we all give toasts, wishing each other you know, good wishes for the coming year. But we have another special thing that we like to do, um, which is we burn a Yule log. Mm. And there is an old tradition of a Yule log, both for solstice and for Christmas, because the two kind of merge together, where you go out and you find the biggest log and you bring it into the hall and you shove it in the fireplace. And as long as the, the log is burning... It's party time. Mm. When the log stops burning, it's time to go back to work. So you want the biggest log you can find. So we do <laughs> I didn't something. Know that, that was some element of it. Yeah. Cool. So we find a log that my husband has squirreled away somewhere in the yard for us to find, and we'll go outside and have a profession, procession and find our log, and we bring it back up to the house, and then we'll pour some kind of spirits over it. Gin is nice, and we ask a blessing. We ask the gods to bless our house and our family, our household for the year, and then we take the log in and we burn it. It does nice colors because of the, the alcohol hall poured over it and uh, it's an offering to the gods and it's sending our prayers up to the gods wow. and then if we have time we'll sit around and drink hot cocoa right mm-hmm. great as, as you do yeah as you do. so tell us a little bit alex how did you become a pagan i think a lot of pagans often say i didn't convert to being pagan i just found out that i was pagan like mm. i was always pagan and i would say that's quite true for me um i'm a bit older than some folks coming into paganism today. Um, So it was pre-internet for me. And it used to be really hard to find information about things like paganism. I I just think it's so great for younger folks today. You can find so much on the internet. But for me, it was a a journey of knowing I have a spirituality, I have a religion, but I don't know what it is. And it wasn't until I got into college that I met some folks who told me they were Wiccan. And I was like, or they said, we practice Wicca. And I was like, does that stand for something? Is that W-I-C-C-A? And they're like, no, no. Oh, it's this, you know, witchy, earth-centered pagan faith. And I was like, tell me more. And at that point, I found books, and I moved to Baltimore, and I found a group to practice with, and, and there we go. So just to clarify, would you say that there are distinct differences between pagan, Wiccan, some of these other terms, which um, that are important to note, or are these, for the most part, interchangeable I think they're important to note. Um, With Christianity, you definitely have different branches of Christianity. You have Catholicism, Protestantism, and of course the Protestants break down to a lot of different sects. Um, I would say it's the same with paganism. Pagan's kind of an umbrella term. It means an earth-centered faith that upholds nature as being sacred and honors our place in the web of life. So that's kind of a baseline for pagan. Um, I would say Wiccans are kind of like the Catholics of the pagan faith. They were kind of the the initial people that got everything rolling. They're much more structured. You know, they've they've just got a bigger network that connects them. Um, And then you get into all the different uh, Asatru or folks who follow the Norse pantheon. You've got Druids and a bunch of different groups of Druids. Um, And then our group, Turning Circle, where I practice, is eclectic pagan. We actually welcome all. Anything that follows the pagan path, 
we're fine with it. Anything that walks along with the pagan path, like we've had Buddhist rituals, we've had Shinto rituals, um, whatever people want to do within the group, we honor it. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like there there are all these different, I don't know if you would say denominations, branches, but there are branches, branches, right? So how do you, how did you decide which path in 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 this really wide spectrum of of ideas and practice and and ritual and so forth that that was the right one for you what what yeah. what led you to to the the path that you follow today well i started out with a druid group arndreacht fane which means our own druidism in irish gaelic and i really liked what they were doing the wiccans sometimes could be a little um, dogmatic. You can get dogmatic pagans. Um, I didn't like the vibe I got off of some Wiccan groups, but I found Andre Octfane and I really liked the Druids, so I hung out with them for a good decade. Um, they primarily worship outside in nature. You know, there's a lot of armchair pagans, which I have to say, Turning Circle is very armchair. Mm. You're always indoors. Mm. We, we meet at an interfaith center, so we do a lot of indoor stuff. But I really enjoyed the decade that I spent with the Druids. We would meet in national parks, um, and I just, I liked their format. Beautiful. The way they did things. They honored nature spirits, uh, ancestors, and deities. The Wiccans don't always bring the deities in. Mm. Uh, I mean, the Wiccans don't always bring the ancestors into all of their rituals, but the Druids always did. They honor land, sea, and sky. It, it spoke to me. Um, so nowadays I consider myself an eclectic pagan, but I definitely have that Druid background. Great. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking with Alex Zach of the local pagan group Turning Circle. So you mentioned a little bit about turning circle and that this eclectic term means that it's it's welcoming all these different ways of, of practicing as a pagan. What does it look like when you get your community together? What what type of rituals do you practice? What's involved? Who's who's involved? Right. Um, yeah, we have a great group. We've been meeting since 2004. We ostensibly meet out of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. They're fabulous giving us space. Mm -hmm. um, we meet uh, twice a month. Uh, so we do a variety of things. Sometimes we have classes. Sometimes we have discussions. But we always celebrate the eight high days. They are the equinoxes, the solstices, and the four fire festivals. Pretty much every six weeks you're going to get a pagan holiday. Wow. Um, we track the seasons and the cycles of the sun. Um, it's a very nature-grounded religion. Um, so, but like I said, we are very eclectic, so our rituals can vary depending on who's leading something. I'm looking forward to doing a Druid in bulk this year. That is Groundhog Day to oh, other folks. Right. That is February 2nd. Uh -huh. So I'm going to enjoy doing a, a high Druid rite for everybody. We have a number of Wiccans in the group. Uh, we have a lady who's very Buddhist. So, you know, we have different flavors that everybody brings. We have, everybody's leading. In yeah, turn. so whoever leads it kind of gives the flavor of what the ritual is going to be. Um, like I said, we have some very lovely Wiccans in the group. But I like to make sure I do some Druid stuff to make sure we have a, a mix, a blend. Mm -hmm. and, and is it a big group, a small group? I say we have about 30 people. Not, okay. not everybody comes every time. Yeah. Great. Tassad, how about you? Um, thinking about the context of, of Kwanzaa, who's coming to your, your family's events, what does that look like for your celebrations? Um, well, our celebration um, is very multicultural. Um, like, like I said, we, we, it's, and it's very multicultural and random. Um, it, a lot of it is based on who you've come across in the last year or more um, at this point now because of how long we've been doing it. Uh, I know I have friends who I may not speak to over the course of a year, um, but who will call me up during Kwanzaa then now that they're in town or, you know, they're they now have a family and want to introduce them to Kwanzaa. And so can we come to Kwanzaa at your house? 
Um, That's so, a testament to how good the party is. Over I, hopefully, ho- <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Um, and so our Kwanzaa is very multicultural, um, which is a little some sometimes can be off putting to the the initial um, nature of Kwanzaa, which was for Black people um, and Black liberation. Uh, but I think in our Kwanzaa, we found that the principles kind of appeal to everyone. Um, you know, there's not, there's no one among us who doesn't need unity or self-determination or, you know, creativity or faith. And so um, our Kwanzaa often looks different from a lot of the more structured Kwanzaas uh, because you're liable to find people of all different faiths and uh, ethnicities um, and races in our Kwanzaa. But uh, it can, it the numbers vary from maybe four to, you know, we've had upwards of 40 people in the home. Hmm. Wow. So do you feel that Kwanzaa has helped you connect with your African heritage as it was intended? I would say yes. Um, they're growing, growing up with those principles. And I, I think I, would have, I clearly would have come across those principles in different ways. Uh, but one thing me and my siblings and even our friends would do, especially when we were younger, we would make it a game almost to come up with someone, an ancestor to share that no one had heard of. Mm-hmm. Like the goal was to kind of like all the audience, right? Mm-hmm. And so we'd all be hut for an hour before the ceremony, especially if the house was already clean. You know, we'd, <laughs> we'd be, everyone would be huddling in different corners of the house trying to find, you know, Hiram Revels or, or someone that that's not Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, mm-hmm. you know? And so... I think that alone, it became a new history lesson that was really unintended. Um, also, it gave us a chance, a, a chance, and also kind of forced the issue to kind of sit at the feet of the adults in the room and really learn um, from all of them. Because the way my family, and probably you can glean some of this, is very involved politically. Um, and so there would be a lot of, for the adults, there was a lot of intense political conversations after Kwanzaa, or at least after the ceremony. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was impossible not to be around and absorb a lot of that conversation. So for me, it's helped kind of just further along and get lessons that I'm sure I would have missed. Um, And that were really, my parents might say they were intentional, but I would say it was kind of unintentional because it was it was just around. It created an ambiance that you would learn and that you had to gather that information. Mm-hmm. So this is actually a good a good point. I'm I'm curious about this for for both of you, Alex. Do you feel like continuation is something that that is is going on for paganism? Are your kids, other young people that you see practicing paganism in a community setting like Turning Circle? Yeah, there was a religious study done in 2014. And 0.4% of Americans identified as pagan or Wiccan. Um, So that translates to a million to a million point five people in America, at least in 2014. Um, So I think paganism is a growing part of America, uh, cultural landscape. I think unaffiliated is perhaps the largest growing group of Americans. But um, people, I think, are finding alternative spiritualities when the 
mainstream stuff isn't speaking to them. It's not it's not filling their needs. Um, so yeah, I think that there are a lot more pagans uh, coming in. We have new folks coming in to the group all the time. I have raised my children as pagan and you you. So I have two atheists and an agnostic in my house. Um, I think that's they, the right math on that. They, they, they put up with our pagan rituals. I'll I'll see. You know, as they get older and go out into the world, I'll see if they decide to be pagan or something else. But they'll always have that in their background. Mm-hmm. Tucson, what about uh, for you? Do you your parents were among those who were the first generation yeah. of Kwanzaa practitioners? So, how do you feel the tradition will continue to evolve in the coming generation as millennials raise their kids? So, I think um, I'm seeing a lot more people from at least my childhood celebrate uh, Kwanzaa. Oh, really? um, okay. Yeah, uh, but but I would say that they're celebrate. They're, they're honestly taking it into their own hands and making it their own. And so I know a lot of people who celebrate Kwanzaa, but not all seven nights. Mm. You know that they'll they will find a community activity, and there's community activities going on like in this area all over, um, and maybe do one or two nights. Um, and I think a lot of people are also. There isn't as much of a question of is Kwanzaa a replacement for Christmas, which it, you know, which Mulana Karanga has said it's not, um, and so people have been able to continue, you know, practicing their given faith while also celebrating Kwanzaa, mm-hmm. and so I think it's becoming less and less controversial. It's still, um, even as conversation we had in here earlier, like it's still very hard to find Kwanzaa pieces in stores. Um, and some of that, I think, is even by design, uh, because as a part of Kwanzaa Cooperative Economics, you're encouraged to buy black, you know. And so, to some extent, it's a blessing that <laughs> major stores aren't carrying those things, but it also makes it harder to then teach general people about Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. But I think Kwanzaa itself is continuing to grow Um we are, you know, I'm the second, I'm kind of the second generation of people who celebrated Kwanzaa. And, you know, we're having the third generation and they're being introduced and figuring out their ways. Like people are, people are doing Kwanzaa trees, you know, and mm-hmm. so like kind of mixing, finding ways to mix the two. So I would say it's, it's very healthy um, and it's, it's progressing. It's a living holiday. It's a living holiday, yeah. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking with Alex Zach about her pagan practice and Toussaint Tingling Clemens about the holiday of Kwanzaa. In the first half of our program, each of our dear guests answered some of my questions, but now we'll give them a chance to ask some of the questions of their own. Anything that you've heard from each other talking about their tradition or experience that you'd like to follow up on, anything that you are familiar with coming in today that you would want to understand better. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respectful dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So with that, who would like to start? Um, I would. Tucson, I'd like to ask you, mm-hmm. um, Christmas is huge. Yeah. You cannot ignore it in our yeah. culture. How does your family deal with Christmas? Do you celebrate it? Do you ignore it? Um, so, in my own nuclear family, we celebrated Christmas until I was about 12 or 13. Um, and my grandmother would actually essentially bring Christmas from New York. Um, she would come down, she'd bring presents, she, you know, and since we got a tree, mm-hmm. uh, we'd get a tree Christmas Eve. You know, we, we do, yeah. we do the whole thing. Um, and it was a blast, uh, as kids. When, um, when we moved, uh, my parents started to just do Kwanzaa solo. Mm-hmm. And um, 
at that point we didn't do we we chose to do Kwanzaa by itself we as a family we didn't do Christmas mm-hmm. um that lasted for about 20 years and now uh my older siblings and younger siblings but you know we the the next generation has appeared uh people have kind of made different decisions for their own nuclear families mm-hmm. um we're also based on relationships marriages whatever have you come you know we end up being with people who also celebrate Christmas. So a lot of times what has happened is we've celebrated, uh, at least the children, we've celebrated Christmas with our significant others, Mm -hmm. families, and then we come back to Kwanzaa um, as a nuclear family. So it is, like you said, very much impossible to ignore, um, but we're also reminded that Kwanzaa is not to be a replacement for Christmas. Um, and so that was the decision we made for our family, but that doesn't have to be mm-hmm. the choice people make. Most of the people who come to our Kwanzaa also celebrated Christmas. Right. Um, so yeah, you, you can do both. Do you celebrate other African based holidays throughout the year? Uh, um, I, I don't, mm-hmm. um, I mean, outside of maybe, and this is not African based, it was African American. I, I mean, I try to make sure I celebrate Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of a personal political thing. Sure. Uh, cause a lot, a lot of it to me also is. To celebrate Kwanzaa, to celebrate even um, Juneteenth, they are in, in fact political acts right. um, because of what they represent. Yeah, and of so course. for me, that's the important part. Right. Um, I'm not as in tune with other African um, traditions mm-hmm. um, outside of Kwanzaa. Right. And can you share what, what Juneteenth is? For oh, yes, yes. I'm sorry. Other. So Juneteenth, um, to just the explanation of it, um, after the Emancipation Proclamation, of course, there was no internet, uh, there were no phones, and so the word that slavery had ended took a long time. And mm-hmm. so Juneteenth is the commemoration of the last slaves to be known to told to be told that slavery was over in Texas. Uh, I want to say two years after the oh, Emancipation wow. Proclamation, mm-hmm. um, and they say Juneteenth because no one knows the exact date; mm-hmm. they just know that it happened in that time period mm-hmm. and so it was years after right. that they found out that they had been free for that long so i put you know i make sure i celebrate juneteenth mm-hmm. um and again there's a lot of local stuff that happens mm-hmm. um i have a question for you though. fabulous um what so i know you talked about the solstice mm-hmm. uh, but what what activities did you all do this year yeah, my um, group, we, yeah, we did a really fun ritual this year. Like I said, it depends on who in the group is leading. Uh, this year we had a lady who grew up in the UK uh, and had a, a Druid background, and she just did this really beautiful ritual. We, uh, The room where we were meeting in the Interfaith Center, she set it all up before we came mm-hmm. in, and she had a spiral laid out on the floor with pine branches. And so we came into an almost completely dark room and sat down in chairs around the spiral. And one by one we got up, and it was very meditative, almost like a labyrinth. We walked through the spiral, and she gave us candles, and we lit the candle from a central flame. And then as we were coming back out of the spiral, we found a place to leave the candle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as each person in the group got up and lit their candles, the light in the room started to come up. Hmm. Um, and so it was very much symbolic of the light returning after solstice. And then once everyone had gone through and all the candles had lit up the room, we just we sang some songs together. Wow. Uh, it was incredibly powerful, that moment, um, just sort of being in this womb-like place mm-hmm. and um, singing together. And then we closed up and had a potluck feast, like you do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it was lovely. Food always brings everyone together. Yes. That's, how, um, and you may have said this before, but 
How old is paganism? Like, I'm curious about mm-hmm. the history of paganism. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, pa- you could call it you could call it um, paleo paganism, okay. meso paganism, and neo paganism. Okay. Paleo paganism is what people practiced before Christianity came in, so that goes way on back. Mm-hmm. Uh, meso paganism could be something around the 1700s, okay. where people started Rosicrucianism and the Masons and all this kind of um, Christian quasi blended pagan ideas. Hmm. Um, and neo paganism probably really got going with the 1940s. Um, People like Gerald Gardner and Alex Sanderson started stuff in the UK. Mm. Um, And then it kind of crept on over to America. And I'd say by the 1960s, some things really got rolling. Uh, Church of All Worlds happened over on the West Coast. Um, There was a lot of Wiccan groups that got going. Um, In 1960, the Reformed Druids of North America got started. And in 1980, Arndre Octfane, my Druid group that I joined, got going in the 1980s. Um, So paganism is continuing to evolve and, you know, morph and spread and new groups kind of pop up. It's a very grassroots movement. Mm -hmm. So it's very uh, focused by who wants to start it and who wants to do it. Um, So we're a very loosely affiliated group of folks doing our own darn thing. (laughs) So I'm listening to Mm -hmm. you has been kind of, you know, really inspiring as far as what paganism is. But I mean, I've clearly heard the word before Mm -hmm. and you hear it mostly in kind of European history. Mm -hmm. Is there a history of paganism outside of Europe? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you could define paganism as not Christian. Okay. So, you know, there's folks all over the world, but the modern use of paganism now does pretty much mean people following an, a Eurocentric based mm-hmm. nature religion. You know, okay. I mean, there are folks who practice Shinto mm-hmm. and Buddhism right. and Hindu and they're non-Christian, but we wouldn't necessarily call them pagan, but we might call them fellow travelers. Right. Okay. There actually, there was an interesting article that came out in the Atlantic, I want to say within the last month, maybe it was the end of November, hmm. that was about a, a group of, I think it was a, a conference of some sort, it was in Baltimore, and, and it was a group of black witches, so hmm. I'm... I, I assume that it was sort of, to use your term, Alex, an eclectic group that <laughs> that um, had a whole spectrum of, of, of folks that were practicing um, different different types of, uh-huh. of... I don't know if they... I, I don't recall if they necessarily used the term pagan. Yeah. Um, they probably didn't use the term druid, but they, maybe they used the term Wiccan or what right. have you. But there was definitely, you know, African... Um, Yoruba practices mm-hmm. and and Santeria and so forth that was sort of in the mix again that that idea of connecting to things that were pre-Christian right. um, traditions that were uh, spiritual in a way that was recognizing other deities or spirits and so forth um, and yeah so there was a group right there in your in cool. your own backyard oh that, sure yeah, yeah there's lots, of, lots of pagans in the Balwash area mm-hmm. but yeah because there's not a central book or a central authority figure right. in paganism, um, it takes all kinds of forms. And people can kind of self-identify with whatever term they like. You could be a Christian witch. I mean, there's some people that, mm-hmm. that do that. They, they do spellcraft, right. but don't necessarily follow the religion. So okay. it can get confusing, right. the terms. But uh, like I said, I think pagan or paganism is just a good umbrella term. Someone following a nature-based faith in some way. Okay. So, Tucson, I wanted to ask you um, about finding a canara. 
Okay. I have been a UU Sunday school teacher a number of times, and we do an interfaith class around winter solstice and Christmas, and I could find a menorah to talk about Judaism, and I could mm-hmm. find uh, Christmas stuff, you know, out mm-hmm. the wazoo, but I could never find a canara. Where do you go to find a canara? So, um... I'm Which actually, and, and and maybe you could define what the Kanara is. Yes, yes. So and I, and I didn't talk a lot about the uh, Kushma that go with um, Kwanzaa, but a Kanara is the candle holder, um, and so it holds seven candles: one in the center, black candle, and then three red candles on the left side, and three green candles on the right side. Um, where do you find the Kanara? So if I'm being completely transparent, most of the Kanaras I found have been at like. Um, Thrifts, um, either thrift stores or, um, oh my God, uh, flea markets. Mm. Um, and a lot of times, you know, like wooden pe- people who just do wooden carvings, you know, just have canards. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been the main place that I often find them. Um, because canards, because they seem to be so hard to find, they can be expensive mm-hmm. and elaborate, which is, you know, depending on your Kwanzaa ceremony, that's kind of both unnecessary and unattainable. Um, but I, you know, I, I will pledge on air to help you find a canara. <laughs> uh, um, there's at least several, um, in my parents' home. And if they're not willing to part with them, I know, you know, I can kind of squeeze that and then we can, we can find one that makes sense for you. So, yeah. yeah. Well, my other thought was, are a lot of people celebrating so, Kwanzaa? Because, you know, if I can find a lot of Judaism or a lot of Hanukkah stuff, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of group out there buying it. Right. So are there a lot of people in the area celebrating so, Kwanzaa? I would say yes. But what happens um, is a lot of people are celebrating, uh, celebrating it in a small area. Mm-hmm. So there's, there may be one celebration of Kwanzaa. Um, you know, at a community center, but there's 200 people there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are celebrating it, just not a lot of home celebrations. Right. Um, And, you know, and and I've even been in conversations with people who've celebrated for longer than I have, Mm -hmm. um, who, you know, have come to our home Kwanzaa ceremony, who said, you know, they've never actually been to a home ceremony (laughs) before. And they've been doing it for 30 years. They've always gone to you know, a place where there was a large gathering of mm-hmm. people where there was drumming and African dancing. Um, Which sounds fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And and so so it's awesome. But so, you know, at, at that Kwanzaa, you mm-hmm. may only need one Kanara or right, two. Right, right. Um, as opposed to having a lot of them. Um, and so I think, um, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah are very much home celebrations. Mm-hmm. Like they, they also happen in group settings, but their mm-hmm. home celebration is where Kwanzaa is not as much of a home celebration. Right. Yeah. Yeah, with paganism, uh, with the winter solstice, we can buy all kinds of Christmas stuff and we repurpose it. Just repurpose it. You know, (laughs) uh, I loved it. Um, The Rite Aid had a line called Yule Rite. Right. Yule, R-I-T-E. And Yule is another word for winter solstice. So we got the biggest kick out of going and buying Yule Rite candles and stuff and going, look, it's for our Yule Rite. That's that's Commercial paganism. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So once That's again, fine. this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM, and we've been listening to a conversation between Alex Zach, a practicing pagan, and Toussaint Tingling Clemens, who's been sharing his experience about the holiday of Kwanzaa. This has been a really illuminating discussion, and as, as uh, usual, the time has gone very quickly, and we probably have much, much more that we, we could talk about, and hopefully we, we can talk about mm-hmm. um, in the days and weeks ahead. Um, I, as we wrap up, I'd like to ask each of you, what's one thing about your tradition that you wish people 
new better, something that you're rarely asked about or you think people might misunderstand that you'd like to set the record straight, either about paganism or the practice mm -hmm. of Kwanzaa? I can go first. Huh? Um, I would say that a lot of people, when they hear the word pagan, they either think of a motorcycle gang mm. or they think it's something to do with Satan. There's mm. something satanic about it. And Satan is very much a Christian deity, and there is nothing about Satan in paganism. Um, there are a lot of different gods and goddesses. It's a polytheistic religion, and each person practicing paganism is a, you know can choose whatever deities they want to work with. Um, but it's it's a very I think ethical religion. Um, there's a lot about taking care of the earth, taking care of other people. There's a wonderful precept. And it harm none, do what ye will, mm. which is called the Wiccan Reed. Mm -hmm. So I mean, sounds I, a little familiar. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know the idea is if you don't hurt anybody else, you don't hurt yourself. It's okay to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I I think there's a lot of positive stuff about paganism, but a lot of times when it gets in the news, it's freaky people. Yeah. It's something weird that happened. Um, so I'd like to say that there's a lot of normal folks who have jobs and families who practice paganism. Uh, it's not so strange. Yeah. For Kwanzaa. Um, the one, and I've said it earlier, and I'm, I have to keep kind of repeating it, that it is not um, a replacement for Christmas. Um, that you can, uh, the the one thing a lot of people find themselves have, feeling like they have to decide between, you know, especially in the black community, being black, uh, you know, and, and believing in black struggle or being Christian, which you don't have, you know, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. And so I think um, remembering and just reminding people that Kwanzaa and Christmas can coexist. Um, you can love Christ and you can love Kwanzaa at the same time. Well, this has been great. Thank you both so much for, for being a part of the show. It's really been an honor to have you both here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having me. What about you, dear listeners? How did you celebrate the holiday season? Did any interfaith-ish come up as you gathered with friends and family? You can share your reflections on all the social media by tagging us at interfaith-ish or sending an electronic message to interfaith-ish at gmail.com. That's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I've been joined today by Alex Zach of the eclectic pagan group Turning Circle and Toussaint Tingling Clemens, who shared his experience celebrating Kwanzaa. As always, I want to shout out my fellow interfaith astronauts Miranda Hovemeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, as well as Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music for the show. And thanks to my beloved family for being our live audience today. Thanks, family. Dear listeners, no matter how you may or may not be celebrating this week, thank you for spending your hour with us. You can find all our previous episodes of Interfaith-ish on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Subscribe, and each of our episodes will drop into your feed like the ball on New Year's Eve. And be sure to make it your resolution to leave us a rating or review about how much you love our show so we can start 2019 off right. We're planning a whole slew of great shows for the months ahead, so keep letting us know the interfaith-ish you wish to dish by emailing interfaith-ish at gmail.com. Once again, that's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. 
Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.